Now it remaineth for us severally to examine and see what this prophet is. If St. Paul had pronounced but this one word, the sense might have been somewhat obscure. But he openeth it so plainly that we cannot mistake his meaning. For, he saith, the scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. St. Paul doth not set forth a single use of the Holy Scripture, but when he hath spoken of the doctrine, he addeth to reprove, correct, and instruct. And why so? It is not enough for God to show us what is good, because we are so cold that we should hardly perceive it. Therefore, he must needs stir us up to an earnestness. We must know that he speaketh to us, and that we are bound to obey. Thus we see there is no dead doctrine in the Holy Scripture, but there are reproofs and corrections to stir us up that we may come to God. St. Paul saith, All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, and then addeth to reprove, correct, etc. Why beginneth he with this word, doctrine? Because it is the natural order. For if we are not taught to say this is the truth, exhortation will be of no use. Therefore we must first of all be made sensible that that which is taught us is good and true and right. Thus the word doctrine signifieth that we must be instructed in the truth, that we must be thoroughly resolved in it, and so edified by it, that we doubt not its authenticity. St. Paul informeth us that this doctrine is to know Jesus Christ, and put our whole trust in him to live soberly, righteously, and godly. When we call upon God by prayer and supplication, we must put our trust in Him and look to the heavenly life whereunto He calleth us. We must mortify all our wicked affections and conform ourselves to His righteousness. The doctrine of the gospel in few words is this, to know God and put our whole trust in Him and to know by what means He is our Savior, namely, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, who died for our justification. This is the way whereby we are reconciled to God and cleansed from all sin, from which proceedeth the confidence we have to call upon Him, knowing that He will not cast us off when we come in the name of Him who is appointed our Advocate. When we consider that there is nothing but sin and wickedness in us, we must learn to be displeased with ourselves and serve God fervently with a pure heart. This is the doctrine contained in the Holy Scripture. We must understand the meaning of St. Paul when he saith to reprove, that is, if we would be well instructed in the school of God. We must confess ourselves guilty. We must be pricked to the heart. We must be reproved for our faults. When the word of God is rightly expounded, the faithful are not only edified, but if an unbeliever come into the church and hear the doctrine of God, he is reproved and judged. 
by this we understand that although the unbeliever may be wrapped in darkness and pleased with his own ignorance, yet when God so enlighteneth him that he seeth the misery and wickedness in which he hath lived, when he seeth his deplorable situation while giving ear to the word of God, he perceiveth the heavens open, as it were, and that man was not made for this life only, but to be exalted to a higher station. Thus, unbelievers are convicted. And to make it more clear, St. Paul addeth, the secrets of the heart are then disclosed. For we know while the word of God is buried, no man taketh heed to himself. Our hearts are in darkness. What then must we do? We must apply the word of God to our use and be awakened out of sleep. We must no more forget God, nor the salvation of our own souls. We must search the very depth of our hearts and examine our whole lives, that we may be ashamed of our filthiness and become our own judges, to avoid the condemnation that is ready at the hand of God. Thus, we understand what St. Paul meaneth by the word reproof. It is not enough for men to lay the blessings of God before us and say this is God's will, but we must be awakened to think upon it in good earnest and look narrowly to ourselves, yea, and to draw near to God as if he had summoned us to appear before his judgment seat. We must bring all to light that we may be ashamed of our evil deeds. And when we breathe into this heavenly air, we must be careful not to turn aside from the right way. But it is not enough to be thus reproved, but correction must be added likewise. We must be chastised, as it were, by the word of God. To the end, we may be reformed. We must forsake our sins. We must be sharply dealt with, that they may be plucked out by the roots and separated from us. Thus, when we have been roused to think upon God, we feel condemned before Him, while our sins are laid open to view, and we become guilty in the sight of both God and man. Moreover, we must be drawn to it by force. If we have been drunk with delicacies, if we have indulged ourselves in folly and vanity, and have thereby been deceived, the corrections must be quick and severe that we may give God the honor and suffer Him to reform us and bring us into subjection to His will. When a father seeth his children conduct themselves improperly and viciously, he thinketh it not enough to say, Why do you so? But he will say, You wretched creatures, have I brought you up and hitherto fostered you to recompense me thus? Doth it become you to do me this dishonor after I have used you so gently? You deserve to be given into the hands of the hangman. So it is with us. When God seeth that we are more rebellious against him than disobedient children are against earthly parents, hath he not occasion to be angry with us? Not that there are any unruly passions in him, but he useth this earnestness that we may be brought into subjection and learn to obey him. Now we may judge whether it would be enough for a man when he would expound the Holy Scripture to discourse upon it as though it were a mere history. 
For if it were so, that which St. Paul saith concerning it is unprofitable. It would be sufficient for him to have said, to preach the gospel, we need only say, thus spake God. The office of a good and faithful shepherd is not barely to expound the scripture, but he must use earnestness and sharpness to give force and virtue to the word of God. St. Paul saith in another place that the shepherds of the church must be earnest, even to be importunate, and not only show the people what is good, but reprove them. It is true, he saith, it must be done meekly, mildly, and patiently. But however it be, corrections must be used. Men must not say, this is too hard to be borne. You must not deal after this sort. Let those who cannot suffer reproof seek another master beside God, for they are not worthy to hear his word. The world would gladly be spared, and we see many who are ready to burst with rage when they are threatened and corrected. They say that they wish to be won by mildness. Then let them go to the devil's school. He will flatter, yea, and destroy them. But as for the faithful, after they have received the doctrine, they must humble themselves and be willing to receive reproof. They must be exhorted when they have done amiss. They must be reproved for their sins and offenses, that they may be purged from all iniquity. In this manner, we must behave ourselves if we wish to be instructed in the doctrine of God. St. Paul addeth, the scripture is profitable for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When he saith that the Holy Scripture is profitable to instruct in righteousness, he shutteth out whatsoever man might bring, showing that we shall not become righteous by observing the works introduced by man. We see how the papists torment themselves in vain, observing whatsoever is enjoined upon them by men. In what consists their righteousness? Upon what is it grounded? It is grounded upon this, the church so commanded. But St. Paul showeth that there is neither religion nor doctrine except in that which is contained in the Holy Scripture. Yea, and in that only is righteousness. Do they then follow that which God hath commanded? No, for they go entirely contrary to it. Therefore, if we wish to have our lives well framed, let us not ground ourselves upon the works of men, but let us follow that which God enjoins upon us. If we regulate our lives by the instructions contained in the Holy Scripture, we shall be justified thereby. But the doctrine of men is but folly, and an abomination to God. Then let us remember, it is not without cause that St. Paul saith, to instruct in righteousness. Again, he giveth us to understand that to be good divines, we must live holy lives. The word of God is not given to teach us how to talk, to make us eloquent and subtle, but to inform our lives, that the world may know we are the servants of God. If we wish to know whether a man profiteth by the gospel or not, let us mark his life. Men may know how to talk, they may make a fair profession of godly and yet not have their lives correspond with the written word of God. 
St. Paul informeth us that we must make the word of God our counselor, that we may walk uprightly and form our lives by it. Thus, the man of God may be perfect and furnished unto all good works. In this manner, we must be instructed in righteousness and reject the inventions of men, for with them God is not well pleased. Men wish to serve God according to their own notions and therefore bring their own works into the account, but God will not allow them. St. Paul, seeing such impudent boldness in men that they cannot keep themselves within the bounds which God hath set them, points out the disease, that it may be healed, he saith, if we have the word of God in our hearts, we shall be upright in life and furnished unto all good works. Men may boast as much as they please that their works are virtuous and holy, but when they shall appear before the heavenly judge, all will be as chaff. When we mix our inventions with that which God hath commanded, we injure all. Therefore we may conclude that whatever things are forged by men are nothing but corruptions, the papists call these good works, to fast upon a saint's eve, to eat no flesh upon Friday, to keep Lent, to serve saints, to go from altar to altar and chapel to chapel, to attend Mass, to go on pilgrimage, etc. They have forged so many laws and statutes that a man cannot understand them, but we must at last appear before the great judge to give an account of all our actions. It is said here that we shall be furnished unto all good works if we profit by the Holy Scripture. But what will come of the traditions and inventions of the papists in which the word of God seemeth to be buried? They make not one hundredth part as much of the word of God as they do of men's traditions. Therefore let us not deceive ourselves willingly, considering we shall have the measure of our perfection. God shutteth out whatsoever is added to the Holy Scripture, and showeth that it shall not be reckoned or received by him. Therefore men make their items in vain, it will but double their condemnation. A man might ask, of what use is the gospel, seeing there is so much uprightness in the law and the prophets? This may be easily answered. The gospel was not given to add anything to the law or the prophets. Let us read the New Testament. We shall not find one syllable added to either. It is only setting forth that which was taught before more plainly. It is true that God hath been more gracious to us than to the fathers who lived before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, matters being more clearly set forth to us, although there is nothing added. So then when St. Paul saith that we shall find uprightness and perfect righteousness in the law and in the prophets, it diminishes not the gospel. There is an agreement in all the Holy Scripture of the Old and New Testament. The doctrine which was contained in the law has been expounded so familiarly to us by the apostles since Jesus Christ that we cannot say we must do this or that, but we must confine ourselves to that which was commanded from the beginning. 
God hath made known his will in such clear terms and hath given so many reasons why we should believe it that we must be convinced of its truth unless we are monsters in wickedness. Therefore, if we will profit by the Holy Scripture, we must study holiness of life, knowing that God will not be served after our own fancy, for he hath given us a certain rule whereby we should regulate our lives, and such a one as cannot be found fault with. Let us then direct our hearts, thoughts, and affections to that which is contained in the Holy Scripture. And then the heavenly judge will receive us. We must be the more induced to these things, because our good God draweth so nigh, and setteth forth his will in such a plain manner to us, that we cannot excuse ourselves unless we cleave wholly to him. Chapter 10 Vessels Unto Honor but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Second Timothy 2, 20 and 21. When we see contemners of God who set bad examples, we sometimes depart from the right way, thinking we have somewhat to excuse ourselves before God, not knowing that these should serve as an exercise of our faith. Therefore, St. Paul not only exhorteth us to separate ourselves from all iniquity, that we may not be like the contemners of God, but he exhorteth us not to be offended, nor take occasion to doubt when we see men wickedly disposed. He hath before illustrated this matter, but now confirmeth it by a fit similitude. And first, that we may not think ourselves worthy of pardon, if we do evil and follow those who despise God, St. Paul saith, in a great house there are divers vessels. If the cupboard or table be furnished with vessels of gold and silver, in the kitchen may be seen vessels of wood and stone. When we see such a variety, we marvel not at it, for if a man should cast his gold and silver among the refuse of his house, what should we think of him? Should we not say he was mad? If it is not improper to have vessels appointed to an unseemly use in a great house, shall we not be content with it in the house of God? Shall we allow greater privileges to mortal man than to the living God? St. Paul exhorteth the children of God, though they be placed among the wicked, not to defile themselves with their wickedness, but rather be moved to a carefulness by this means, that they may shun evil examples and separate themselves from their company, that they may dedicate themselves the more diligently to God. Thus, in few words, we have the apostles' meaning. As we have already shown, the lesson given here by St. Paul is very profitable. For if there be wicked men and hypocrites in the church of God who continue among us for a season and are highly esteemed, it must not trouble us, for the house of God is great. 
some understand this to include all the world, and it might reasonably be taken so. However, of this we shall speak more at large hereafter. St. Paul had just made mention of backsliders who fell away after they had made a profession of their belief in the gospel. This matter bringeth us great comfort, seeing the church of God is spread throughout all the world, and many being called to the gospel. Let us put the case to those here assembled. Are there not vessels of gold and silver enough to furnish a cupboard or table? And are there not likewise vessels of wood and earth, which, after they have served a while, are to be cast away or burnt, or no account made of them? Although we might wish for nothing but a purity in the church of God, for nothing that could be found a fault with, yet notwithstanding, we must expect to see stumbling blocks. And why so? Because God assembleth together a great variety of vessels. It is said that the church of God, or kingdom of heaven, is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, where all sorts of fishes were gathered, which, when it was full, was drawn ashore, and the good gathered into vessels, but the bad cast away. So it is when the gospel is preached, many will seem to receive it, yea, and for a season appear to be of the number of the faithful, but they soon turn aside and become separated from them. Matthew 13:47. The church of God is also compared to a floor where wheat is mixed with chaff. But the floor is to be purged, the wheat gathered into the garner, and the chaff burnt with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3:12 and Luke 3:17. This is to show us that during this life the church of God shall never be without mixture. There always will be hypocrites who will assent to the doctrine of faith, or at least will have a place in the church and be taken for Christians. But in the end it will be ascertained that they are not sons. Therefore, they will be disinherited. We have a figure of this in the case of Ishmael, who, for a season, was above Isaac, being the elder son. But he was cast out, and Abraham was constrained to cut him off. Genesis 21:14. Before we go any farther, we must answer a doubt that might here be raised. It is said in the Psalms that those who come into the mountain of God and have a place to dwell in his temple must be without blemish and must walk uprightly. This at first sight seems to destroy the idea that there are vessels to dishonor, for all must be chosen to serve God and must be sanctified to obedience. To what doth God call us but to holiness? Are we not vessels of his temple? Yea, are not every one of us a part of his sanctuary? Must we not be consecrated to him and purified from all blemishes and pollutions? In the places which we have mentioned, we are taught what manner of persons those whom God calleth to himself ought to be. It is not said that all are such, for there are many who, although they are commanded to dedicate themselves to God, remain filthy and wicked.
when it is said that those who have clean hands and pure hearts shall dwell in God's holy mountain, many will boast that they are his children and that they are faithful who are not worthy to be reckoned of his household. But in the end, they will be cast off after they have occupied a place under this false title and have wickedly abused the name of God. He will banish them as we have already noticed concerning Ishmael. The wicked who dwell in the temple of God seem to do well for a time, but they soon begin to despise their maker and use deceit, malice, violence, extortion, and cruelty toward their neighbors. They may grow up in the church, but in the end, God will separate the goats from the sheep. In the second place, St. Paul exhorteth us to purge ourselves from all the filthiness of the wicked. And why so? If we be partakers of their wickedness, God will be displeased with us. Therefore, if we wish to be honorable in his church, we must not only have this outward title before men, but we must live in obedience to his will and show that it is not for naught that God hath chosen us to himself. Let us understand what is said in the text, that if there be wicked men mixed among the good, we may not be troubled beyond measure. We see some so nice that if they can spy any fault in the church, or if the Reformation is not so perfect, or such as might be wished for, they will cry out, How now? Is this the church of God? And will separate themselves from it, thinking that they defile themselves if they belong to a company that cannot wholly correct the faults of their own members. We ought indeed to be earnest and zealous and endeavor to put away stumbling blocks. If we see evil in the church, it must be purged out. It must be cut off speedily and not suffered to grow. We must all earnestly desire the temple of God to remain pure and clean. Yet, notwithstanding, we must suffer many things to remain which cannot be taken away. When we cannot remedy them, we must mourn. However the world may go, we ought not to estrange ourselves from the church of God under the pretense that all men walk not as they ought. And why so? In a great house, if a man go into the kitchen and see vessels that are worth nothing, or of which there is but little account made, he would not be angry, for they are appointed for the use of the kitchen, and thus serve for the cleanliness of the house. If a man should be so peevish as to forsake all and say, I will never come into this house again, because I see vessels here that serve to no purpose except to gather up the filth of the kitchen, would he not be ignorant? On the contrary, he may see that pains are taken to serve him the better. Therefore, when we see such vessels in the church of God, let us not be grieved, and take occasion thereby to withdraw ourselves from it, but let us still go on and persevere. St. Paul meant to show us here that although the wicked endeavor to bring the name of God into reproach and dishonor, they cease not to serve his glory. 
and how God turneth their wickedness into goodness. When we look at the wicked, we think they are made to dishonor God, to destroy the reputation of His majesty, and abolish His justice, to turn all things upside down, that the world may have no more knowledge of Him. This is what they aim at, and the devil pusheth them forward, but they cease not to be vessels. That is to say, God will find means to use them in such a manner that he will be glorified by them. Not that this excuseth them, nor that they may cloak themselves with such a mantle as though they served him, for this was not their mind or intention." Let us submit ourselves to the providence of God, for if we be angry and peevish and say all things are out of order, we shall not be excused. Let us be fully resolved that in despite of Satan, God will be glorified. Moreover, let us learn to practice this doctrine, namely, when we see nothing but blemishes among us, and that stumbling blocks are not removed as they ought to be, when there is not so much honesty as is requisite, and men shut their eyes for fear of seeing the light, when they dissemble, and when there is not rigor and severity enough used to keep them in order, let us mourn, and if possible, correct such irregularities. We must not think because we see these disorders in the church of God that it is utterly destroyed, that our Lord Jesus Christ is able to do no more, but rather consider that although the wicked disfigure the beauty of the church, although they defile and pollute it, yet notwithstanding, God will be glorified. After they shall have troubled the church long enough, God will bring them to their end and show himself to be their judge. Therefore let us be patient, knowing that we have a wonder-working God who worketh by such means that he causeth even the devil and wicked men to praise him. It is true that the devil will always show himself as much as possible a deadly enemy to God's glory and will endeavor by all means in his power to tread it underfoot. But after all, God turneth his wickedness into good. So fareth it with the wicked who go about to bring all things into disorder and to take the kingdom of God among us and raise out the remembrance of his name. But when they have done all they can, they still remain vessels. St. Paul treats upon this subject more extensively in the ninth chapter to the Romans, where he plainly showeth that the reprobates and castaways, not only those who make profession of Christianity, but they that are open enemies to the gospel, are God's instruments and vessels, whereby he causeth his glory to appear, although their intention is entirely different. He speaketh as much of those who denied God and made no pretensions to be of his household as of hypocrites who made for a season some show. For example, there is a wicked man that seeketh to mix heaven and earth together, as it were. Satan hath employed him this way and that, and it is thought for a time that he will do great wonders. But God showeth that the matter is in his hands, that he hath him bridled and in subjection and that he is his instrument. 
It is true that the wicked are not led by the Spirit of God to do evil. It would be blasphemy to say so, for the Spirit of God leadeth us to justice and righteousness. Although the devil entice men into wickedness, yet notwithstanding, God ruleth over all, yea, and in such a manner that he applieth their wickedness to his service. Therefore, seeing it is so, let us learn to be patient. When there are stumbling blocks in the church, we must not nurse the evil, as I have previously shown, but every one ought to be active and endeavor as much as possible to cleanse the church from all manner of filth. After we have done all in our power, if we are unable to make it better, let us wait patiently while God uses the evil and turneth it to a good end. Therefore, let us understand what is here taught us, namely, that the wicked are vessels, that is, they shall be constrained to serve God. They are not inclined to do good, but God can draw them by force and dispose of them according to the counsel of his own will, which surpasseth our understanding. They serve in his house, not to honor, and yet the name of God ceaseth not to be glorified. It doth in no wise lessen his justice, wisdom, virtue, and goodness. Thus God keepeth all things in order, although the wicked are mixed among the righteous. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. This is the second part of that which we have before noticed. When we see that the church of God is not so well reformed as might be wished, we are apt to think all is lost and that God ruleth no more in the world. But St. Paul instructeth us not to be disconcerted, but wait patiently till it please God to turn the malice of the wicked to his own glory. If we be constant and not shaken by the confusion in the world, the end will always be good. When we are among the wicked, we must not join with them in their wickedness, but separate ourselves from them. St. Paul exhorteth us to cleanse ourselves from those of whom he spake and dedicate ourselves to God. It is a hard matter for a man to walk through mire and dirt without defiling himself or to go into a foul and a filthy place and return without stain or spot upon him. Therefore, we must take heed and be careful when we are conversant with those who contemn God. When we are among lewd men and hypocrites, we must be circumspect in our conversation, for nothing is more easy than to become enwrapped in the pollutions of the world and by them infected. For this reason, St. Paul saith, let us beware. This admonition was not given for one time only, but it must be observed to the end of the world. Let us learn, then, that although there ought to be some policy in the church to correct a false, to keep people in the fear of God, and induce them to live an honest life, yet we shall see many things that are hurtful, which will turn us out of the right way, unless we are watchful. 
we may be joined with the wicked until we depart out of the world. But let us endeavor to cleanse ourselves from their filthiness. Let us pray to God that he would turn us from pollutions and purify us by his Holy Spirit, that his righteousness may always reign in our hearts. Thus we see the meaning of St. Paul, that we should cleanse ourselves from those of whom he spake, as if he had said, although we are conversant with the wicked, who would wish to lead us in to their company and have us partake of their wickedness, yet we cannot excuse ourselves if we become like them, for God did not sanctify us in vain when it pleased him to choose us to himself. St. Paul says we must cleanse ourselves, not that we are able to do it ourselves, but because God will have us attend to his service. From the reading of this sentence, some have concluded that we can cause God to choose and predestinate us, but this is overthrowing the groundwork of our faith. It is gross beastliness to say we must separate ourselves from the wicked if we will have God to choose us, for it is as much as if we should say before we were born, before the world was made, it was necessary for us to prepare ourselves that we might be worthy of God's adoption. This doctrine is so foolish that it does not deserve particular notice, for he chose us before the foundation of the world was laid. He respected no deserts of ours, whatever. Again, there are others that would establish a free will, saying we are commanded to cleanse ourselves, and therefore it must depend upon our own industry. But these men show themselves ignorant, and that they are not well informed in the Holy Scripture. For when God showeth us what our duty is, he doth not say that it is in our power, or that we are able to do it, but he exhorteth us to do that which is good, and worketh in us, because we are not able to perform it of ourselves. Therefore let us learn in this way to cleanse ourselves, that we may not be like the wicked. God saith, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. Ezekiel 36.25 That is, the Holy Ghost. We are commanded to cleanse ourselves, but God showeth that this belongeth to him, and that it proceedeth from the pure grace of his Holy Spirit. Why then doth St. Paul use this language? Our nature moveth nothing at all. It is the Lord that worketh all the good that is in us. He giveth us the will and also the strength and affection that we may fight against wickedness, thus yielding and giving to us that which belongeth to himself. He worketh in us in such a manner that it seemeth we do it ourselves. The believer taketh great pains, and laboreth to purge himself from the filth of the world, that he may not be infected with the corruptions of the wicked. In this we fight manfully, but it is God that driveth us to it. It is he that giveth us virtue. In short, he giveth us the will, and enableth us to execute it, as St. Paul saith, all of his free goodness. That we may not be idle, we are thus exhorted in this place, and such exhortations are not needless. 
having made some observations upon the words purging or cleansing ourselves, we shall notice the following clause of the same verse, namely, He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. When he speaketh of vessels of honor, he showeth that it is not enough to have a place in the church of God and bear the name of Christians, but we must be separated from sin and uncleanness. It is true that all those who are baptized, all who are partakers of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, and joined with the faithful, are already separate from unbelievers. No man will say that they are Turks or heathens, Yet notwithstanding, something more than this is necessary. We must not have the outward mark only and boast of our baptism and profession to serve God, but our life must witness that we are indeed His children, that when we are governed by His Holy Spirit, it may be a witness to certify us of our adoption. This is the meaning of St. Paul when he saith, We must be vessels unto honor. And why so? It may be, although we are in the church of God, yea, and of those that are most forward, that in the end we shall be cast aside as a broken vessel, or forsaken as a vessel of wood that serveth to no purpose. Such is the end of hypocrites, who vaunt and boast that they are of the number and company of the children of God. They may indeed be vessels, and God may use them, but they are to dishonor, for he will bring them into confusion. Therefore let us take heed, and see that we are vessels unto honor, not to have an outward or temporal mark only, that we may be taken for the children of God, but that we may be chosen for his everlasting inheritance, and by this means draw near to him. We must not only be vessels in the house, but of the temple, to serve to make holy sacrifices and oblations, that we may thereby serve and honor God. When God maketh the malice of men serve his glory, as it is said of Pharaoh, it is like drawing fire out of water. It is so great a work that it is difficult to comprehend it. We glorify God when we give ourselves wholly to his service and seek nothing but the honor and glory of his name. And this is done when we act as true children and labor both in body and soul to apply ourselves to his use. He not only saith that we are vessels of his temple, but that we are the priests that bear them. Thus God useth us as vessels of honor, dedicating both body and soul to his service. Yea, he maketh us vessels to be applied to whatever shall serve for his holiness, that he may reign among us. Therefore we must take so much the more pains to sanctify ourselves, as it is said, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Isaiah 52.11 Again, we know how God hath commanded that the vessels should be kept clean and pure, and that no unclean thing should be put therein. 
Therefore, seeing we are the vessels of the temple, the bearers and keepers of them, let us beware and dedicate ourselves to the use of God, which is honorable. Seeing we are his temples, each one of us, and all together, let us be careful to keep ourselves in all pureness. Seeing God doth us this honor to receive us as vessels of his temple and dwelleth in us by his Holy Spirit, must we not be purged from all filthiness? God will not dwell in a filthy place. His house must be pure and holy. Whatsoever cometh near him must be sanctified. We cannot be fit to serve God unless we be vessels of honor that is given to all good works. If we would serve God as he requireth, we must give ourselves to good works. That is, we must seek nothing but to obey his will and answer his holy calling. Then we shall not only be instruments in his hand, but we shall be vessels of honor governed by his Holy Spirit. Thus we shall close our remarks upon this text. To make a short conclusion, let us learn not to disorder ourselves. Though the devil cast many troubles in our way, though storms and tempests arise, though there be not so much regularity in the church as could be wished, yet let us still keep on our way and not think that this lesseneth the majesty of God. For in a great house there must needs be vessels of wood and of earth. God will prove our affection. Let us therefore be watchful and think not to be excused if we join the wicked in their pollutions. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship, 
in which they absurdly exercise themselves, would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.